here this morning, and if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn with me uh, to Exodus chapter 3. We'll kind of start there. Uh, we're doing a study of Exodus. Now, I, my favorite book of the Bible, if you ask me what my favorite book of the Bible is, it's always the book that I'm studying. And right now, Exodus is the most awesome book in all of the Bible. It is so good. And when we studied this at camp, you know, Jeremy said, I know you're going to do a series on this. Well, I don't have time to do the whole book here at the end of the year, but I do want to get into it. And so there is this tension, this great book. I want to go through it chapter by chapter and really exposit the whole book. But we're looking at the grand theme of the book, I Am. The great I am. And this enables us to move through. And so, Lord willing, we're going to go through uh, uh, 5 through 15. We're going to through, go through uh, 11 chapters. And so we'll see what that looks like. Uh, it'll be like a major miracle. So we better dive in. And let's take a look at this. Now, before Labor Day, we looked at I am who I am. And we saw what's in the name. What is the name of God? Yahweh. And we saw that there were three tensions. And the first tension was the tension between explaining and experiencing the I am God. And we're going to see that again today. That you'll never really understand who God is until you enter into a faith relationship. When you begin to obey and interact with Him. We saw the tension between knowing God and not knowing Him. There's a tension there. And you see there on the chart that God progressively reveals Himself through the Old Testament. In Genesis 1-11, through 11, what Pastor Bruce is preaching on right now, we see Him as Elohim, the majestic maker of all things. And then He chooses Abraham in Genesis 12, and He begins to reveal Himself to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as El Shaddai, God Almighty, the mountain mover who can bring uh, birth out of dead wombs, who can enable and fulfill promises from broken people, uh, schemers like Jacob and, uh, and Abraham, who had lied twice in order to save his own skin and put his wife at risk. But here in Exodus, God begins to reveal himself as Yahweh. I am who I am, the ultimate mercy shower. And it's not that he wasn't known as Yahweh in Genesis. It's just that he wasn't shown to be Yahweh by his mighty acts. In fact, in Exodus 6, verses 6 through 8, there's another great revelation of God's holy name, I Am. And he says, he says seven things. I will bring you out. I will deliver you. I will redeem you. I will take you to be my people. I will be your God. I will bring you into the land. I will give it to you for possession. What's he saying? He's saying, look, I'm going to show you. I'm going to make known through what I'm doing. <coughs> I'm going to make known through what I do that I am who I am and I will be who I will be. But we ended last uh, two weeks ago on the tension between holiness and love. God, the great I am, is both holy and loving. He is large and in charge, but he's close and caring. And this tension, this tension is what really reveals God to be the true God. And it's the tension that we constantly are losing both in our culture and even among Christians. And so what we want to do today is to focus on the holiness of God. I want to focus on the God who says, I am holy. In other words, there is no one like me. There is no one like me. So let me give you a definition of holiness to get us going. Definition of holiness. Holiness is grounded in God, and it refers to His uniqueness. It refers to His uniqueness. Ah, I can't spell uniqueness today. Sorry about that. Unique. I don't know. What am I doing? U-N-I-Q. Is there an E? Man, that looks so... It looks like a foreign language. You ever do that where you write something and then all of a sudden you're like, what in the world? Do I even know English? Okay, there it is. Uniqueness. That's unique, let me tell you. God's uniqueness. 
Uh, it basically means to be set apart, but God is so unique. God is so set apart that He's utterly unique. There's no one like Him. Look at the Exodus 15. You know, if we don't get to Exodus 15 today, at least we're going to read the conclusion of Exodus 15. Notice what it says. Who is like you among the gods, O Lord? And the answer is no one. Exactly, Angela. Who is like you? Majestic in what? Holiness. Awesome in praises. Working wonders. Who is like you? God is utterly unique. This is what makes Him holy. The word holy means to be set apart in a way that God is totally unique. There is no one like Him. He is second to none. He's in a category by Himself, totally set apart from all others. It's not simply holy versus sinful. It's also, it is also holy versus created. Okay, so it's not just... God is sinless and everything else is unholy. It's that God is utterly unique among everything because He is I am. He is uncreated. And everything else, everything else other than God has a beginning. So it's not just holy versus sinful. It's also holy versus created. In other words, Adam and Eve, even before they sinned, were not as holy as God is because they were still created. Are you get that? And sometimes we, we, we forget that. Satan is not the perfect opposite of God. Why? Because Satan's created. God is holy. He's utterly unique. To be holy involves all that God is in his character, his attributes, his actions, and even his motivations. Holiness is rooted in who God is, what he does, how he does it, and especially why he does it. And because God is so unique, the only way we're going to figure out how holy he is and who he is, is if we study what he has revealed about himself. I was just encouraging one of our young ladies to be in the word of God, because you'll never understand this holy God until you get into his word, because you don't live this life thinking about God. You can't watch news and, and, and figure out God. You, you've got to read His Word and you've got to study what He does and you've got to look at why He does it. And that's what we're going to do today. Secondly, a demonstration of His holiness rooted in Exodus 3. We looked at the burning bush. The demonstration of His holiness in that burning bush and the consuming fire of God's holy presence. I truly believe now, studying through Exodus, that Exodus 3 is that starting point for understanding God's holiness for the rest of the Bible. How is God's holiness revealed in the burning thorn bush? Well, look at verses 2 through 3 of chapter 3. The thorn bush burns due to the fire of God's presence. This is amazing. And it reminds us, it reminds us this, that there's more to God's holiness than just judgment. Here is a thorn bush that is worthy of being burned up representing our sin, and yet God's holiness is able to dwell in its midst and not burn it up. That's good news. God's holiness is more than judgment, okay? Look at verses 4 through 5, God's warning not to come near. He, he calls Moses by name, come near, and then he says, don't draw too near. What's that telling us? That no one can come into God's holy presence uninvited. And once again, we see that there's more to God's holiness than judgment. But we only draw near to God on His terms and with an understanding that He is holy. That is missed a lot today. Verse 5 again, the fact that God's holy presence makes the place where He reveals Himself holy ground. God causes things to be holy, not us. And the only way for you and I to be holy is for God to cause us to be holy by His presence dwelling among us, and there's hope for us because we're not much better than thorn bushes. Okay, And then, verse 6, the fact that Moses hides his face before God, even though God has revealed to himself as the promise-making God of the patriarchs. Here's a beautiful reminder that entering into a relationship with God does not cancel out His holiness or our need to fear Him. Here's Moses, who has been called by name, 
And God in His holiness is revealed, hey, I'm the God of your fathers. I'm the covenant-making God. I'm the God who wants to make something of you and my people. And yet Moses still hides his face. Why? Because just because we have a relationship with God doesn't mean His holiness is canceled out. Man, that's just good stuff right there. Shouldn't have put it in there. I'm, I'm eating my time up. But we've got to keep moving. There's no doubt in this. Listen, look at these verses from Isaiah. I am the Lord. Your holy one, not holy two, not holy three. One God, three persons, but he is unique. The creator of Israel, your king. To whom then will you liken me that I would be his equal? Answer, no one, says the holy one. So I hope I've established what holiness is. Now, what I want us to look at today is really Genesis 5 through, or Exodus 5 through 15 which is really all about the ten plagues. And in those ten plagues, we're going to see that God is revealing, I am holy. And it's going to end in Exodus 15 with God's people singing these words, Who is like you among the gods, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in praises, working wonders? And folks, my hope, is that we will be singing that in our hearts by the end of this lesson because that's what God's intent is. So let's look at three specific ways that God reveals His holiness in Exodus 5 through 15. Here's the first one. I am holy is revealed in the unique glory of who God is. The unique glory of who God is. We see that His peerless name is holy. Just His name, His character. This name, I am, is unmatchless. It is, it is unique. It is utterly unique. And so when we look at Exodus 5, so look in your Bibles, Exodus 5 through 7 is the story of Moses' first two encounters. He's left the burning bush. He's abandoned his four excuses, and now he is gone, and in these chapters, he's encountering Pharaoh two times. And here's what you want to see out of this. God rescues Israel and judges Egypt for one gracious purpose, and that is to reveal his holy glory. His holy glory of his name among all peoples. What, what you see in Exodus 5 through 7 is God establishing that he rescues Israel and he judges Egypt to spread the fame of his name among all peoples. He does it to reveal it to his chosen people, Israel. I have in your notes Exodus 6, 7. Look at that verse. Then I will take you for my people. That is, after the Exodus... After I've delivered you, I will take you for my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord. And remember, Lord's in all caps, so what does that mean? I am the, the I am. You will know that I am the I am, your God, who brought you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. But it's not just so that Israel will know the unique glory of his name. It's so that Egypt, the Egyptians and all peoples will know it through his people. Look at Exodus 7.5. In Exodus 7.5, here's what he says. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord in all caps. So what is he saying? The Egyptians shall know that I am the I am when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the sons of Israel from their midst. In fact, if you go all the way to Exodus 15, the end of the section that we're looking at, Exodus 15, 11 through 15, here's what Moses and the people of Israel sing. The peoples have heard, they tremble. Anguish has gripped the inhabitants of Philistia, then the chiefs of Edom were dismayed. The leaders of Moab, trembling, grips them. All the inhabitants of Canaan 
have melted away. What's his point? The peoples of this earth, every people group, through the Exodus, have heard of the unique glory of God's name. So let me sum it up this way. Why did the I Am God strike Egypt with the ten plagues? Why did He save Israel by the blood of the Passover lamb? Well, the prophet Daniel, hundreds of years later, puts it this way. And now, O Lord, our God, who have brought Your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for Yourself. I love that verse. Why did this all happen? God was making a name for Himself. He was revealing the holy glory of His peerless name, the I Am God. Okay, It's all about spreading the fame of His name. In fact, notice in your notes, from the beginning to the end of the ten... <coughs> from the beginning to the end, the ten plagues took place to answer one question... And that question is put on the lips of Pharaoh in the very first encounter with Moses. Listen to what he says. Who is the Lord? Who is the Lord? And remember, Lord's in all caps. So what is he saying? Who is the I Am? Who is the I Am that I should obey his voice? I do not know the I Am. Now, there's no accident that these verses come at the beginning of this of this great passage. So look again, Exodus 5, 1 through 2. Let me read it for you. And afterward, Moses and Aaron came and said to Pharaoh. So here's this, the big initial encounter. Thus says the Lord, all caps, thus says the I am, the God of Israel. Let my people go that they may celebrate a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, who is the I am? that I should obey his voice to let Israel go. I do not know the I am. And besides, I will not let Israel go. Okay, Pharaoh, you're ready to have a lesson on the unique glory of his name. You don't know me. I will now reveal myself to you in a powerful way. And that brings us right to the second way that his holiness is revealed. I am holy is revealed, number two, in the unique greatness of what he does. First in the glory of his name, of who he is, and then in the unique greatness of what he does, his powerful acts. So he has this peerless name, I am, that's full of holy glory, but then he has these powerful acts that reveal his greatness his power, his might. And of course, these are the ten plagues. Well, in Exodus 7 through 10, we get the first nine plagues, all right? We get the first nine plagues. Here's two things I want you to understand about the plagues. First of all, God reveals his holiness through the unique greatness of the ten plagues on Pharaoh and Egypt. These plagues are meant to reveal the unique greatness of Yahweh through the powerful acts, the powerful plagues that he brings. In fact, Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 4, looking back, in Deuteronomy 4, looking back on these, says this, Or has a God attempted to go and take a nation as his own out of another nation by trials, signs, wonders in war by a strong hand that's greatness and an outstretched arm that's greatness by great terrors those are the plagues as the i am your god did for you in egypt before your eyes you were shown these things why so that you would know that the i am is god there is no one besides him he is holy he is unique. See it in the holy glory of His name. See it in the holy greatness of these plagues. You see, 
we, you know, even as Christians, but as people, we read the plagues, and who doesn't see a great movie in them, right? Okay? And there are great movies. And DeMille did a great job in the Ten Commandments with these things. And it, and we get all, you know, how'd that happen and what would that look like? But you got to understand, it's not about the plagues. And here's why. The plagues are called many things in the Bible. They're referred to many times. They're called wonder, wondrous acts. They're called mighty deeds. They're called great terrors, as we just read. But in Exodus, there's two specific words that these are called, and they're called God striking or smiting. Okay, It's God attacking His enemies. So it's a strong word. It's God. It's the hand of God coming down to crush. It's the finger of God coming down and pointing out the sin and pouring out his wrath. But they're also called God's signs. And what are they signs to? The greatness of his acts and to the glory of his name. And so if we get all caught up, in the, in the movie effects of the plagues, we miss what's really going on here. And that's what you'll never really see in the Ten Commandments is the proclaiming of the glory of His name and the proclaiming of the greatness of His acts. And so here's what I want you to see, that the plagues are Yahweh striking His enemies with judgment, the judgment they deserve but doing so as a gracious sign of His holy greatness, a sign that they don't deserve. So striking refers to judgment. The sign, though, is a gracious revelation that you're worshiping the wrong gods, Egyptians. That you're, 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 you're headed towards judgment, Egyptians. See these plagues? There's eternal judgment on the way. So... Respond to the sign and realize that the I am God is greater than the gods of Egypt. The I am God is uniquely holy. There is no one like Him. The ESV Study Bible says this, Exodus records the instructions and events of the plagues for the purpose of showing how the Lord revealed both His person, the glory of His name, and His power, the greatness of His acts, through delivering Israel from Egypt. The plagues fall on areas of life supposedly protected by Egypt's gods, thus demonstrating the Lord's power over the gods of the world's mightiest nation. Now, there's a lot of things we could do here that we don't have time to do. So I gave you a chart. So there's your chart. There's the chart of the ten plagues. And you see in the first column, Yahweh strikes. There's the judgment, right? And there's what we're familiar with. The Nile turns to blood. Frogs come out of the Nile and fill the land, even in your beds. How would you like to pull back your covers, Terry? And there's frogs in the bed. This would not be good. This would not be good for me. Gnats then swarm. Flies. Livestock die. Boils in Egypt. Fiery hail come down. Fiery hell comes down. Fiery hail comes down. And you know, I, 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 I read and I studied that when it refers to this hail and this fire, it would be fire would ignite and then be extinguished, and then you ignite, and then be extinguished. It takes us back to the burning bush. God's fiery judgment is being poured out, and fire is igniting, but it can also be extinguished. It's a sign. Which do you want? Burning fire for all of eternity? Or do you want God in His grace to somehow extinguish the fire? It's, it's an amazing. These things are amazing. Must keep going. Locusts swarm. Okay, you see all that, right? But what you don't forget, what we don't want to forget is the next column, Yahweh conquers the gods of Egypt. These weren't indiscriminately chosen. They were specifically chosen by Yahweh to conquer specific gods that the Egyptians worshipped. 
And so we don't have time to go through that, but like they had gods in the form of frogs. Oh, you want to worship frogs? I'll give you frogs, okay? They had gods in the form of sacred bulls and sacred cows. Oh, you want to worship them? I'm going to kill all your cows, okay? They had healing gods. Oh, you want healing gods? I'm going to put boils on you that no one can eliminate. They had the sky god. Oh, you worship the sky god? Let's have fire and hail come out of the sky. They had the goddess of life. Okay, the locusts are going to eat everything up. They had the sun god, which is the premium, one of the premium gods. He turns darkness for three days. He, 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 you know, he's like your parents. He can turn the lights on and off, right? And you're a kid, you know, they leave your light. No, I'm going to turn it off and they're going to stay off. And then the ultimate Pharaoh was seen as a living God. And he takes the firstborn son of all of Egypt. And so he conquers them. But don't miss that third column. Here's where the sign come in, comes in. Yahweh makes known the unique glory of his peerless name and the unique greatness of his powerful acts. This is why I'm glad. Listen, this is why I'm glad that we're surveying. Because in surveying, we're seeing the real message through the book. And the real message is this. I am holy And my name is peerless among all others. I am holy and my acts are more powerful than all others. Notice also, and so I I mean, I, I don't want to take the time, but if you would just read through that third column. It's so clear. It's repeated so many times. And we forget that you will know I am Yahweh, so that you may know there is no one like Yahweh, our God. Our God is the Holy One. There is none like Him. I will set apart the land. And so like after, uh, after uh, number four, after, well, first of all, let me say this. The, the first nine plagues are set apart from the tenth one. And those nine plagues are presented in sets of three. And so I have that separated for you on the chart. And notice, in the Bible, the third time something happens, it's like when the shoe drops. And so notice that the third time, each time, the third plague in the set of three, there is no talking to Pharaoh, it just happens. And what is so you see God's great, He's being gracious. And guess what? The first three are irritations, the next three are destructions, and the final three bring death. And the tenth one is the ultimate death blow. So as God is moving through this, He is long suffering, and He's saying, Look, these first three, they're bad. But wait till you get the next three. They're destructive. Wait till you get the final three or the net, you know, uh, six, seven through nine. Death is coming. But notice that on the third plague of each of those three sets, there is no talking to Pharaoh and there's no revealing of his of his glory. There is just judgment. And you see, that's what's going to happen someday, folks. Is God's wrath is going to come. And right now, He's warning us. Right now. And He's still allowing disasters to come. He's still allowing judgment to fall. But one day it's going to fall and there's going to be no announcement. There's going to be no more warning. There's no more negotiating. There's no more time for decision making. It's just going to fall. And it's going to be deadly. And it's going to be eternal. Is it? Our God is holy, would you say? He's holy in the greatness of His acts. And we're just looking at the ten plagues, because after the plagues comes the parting of the Red Sea. And guess what? In the parting of the Red Sea, He says 
this in Exodus 14. Thus I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will chase after them. I will be honored through Pharaoh, honored, and all his army. And the Egyptians will know that I am the I am. He says again in Exodus 14, Then the Egyptians will know that I am the I am when I am honored through Pharaoh, through his chariots and his horsemen. It even goes into Exodus 16 when the delivered people, the rescued people, you know what the rescued people do the first thing they get into the wilderness? The rescued people, you know what they do? They murmur, 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 gripe, 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 gripe. And you know what God says? Here's what God says. I have heard the grumblings of the sons of Israel speak to them, saying, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread, and you shall know that I am the I am your God. It's all about His greatness. It's all about His greatness. So here, let me give you a summary. The holy uniqueness of God's greatness is seen in His great striking. Let me give you three ways, three ways to kind of summarize these plagues. One, His power over all creation is second to none. His power over all creation is second to none. When you look at these plagues, He is the holy king over water, over land, he can make he can make play, he can make darkness here, but not here. And I think I forgot to I was getting down going down that road, and I, I got derailed. Once you get to plague number four, he begins to make a distinction between God's people and those who are not His people, and that again is a measure of holiness. He makes a separation. He makes a division. And so there's darkness in Egypt, but there's light in Goshen. God can, I I don't know, it's a miracle. It's a miracle. Supernatural miracle. But not hard for the guy that created the sun, right? Not hard at all. And so he he has power over water, land, air, light, insects, plants, Animals and people. And really, you know what the ten plagues are? They're a reversal of the six days of creation. We've been learning about the six days of creation where God brings order and He brings light out of darkness. Now He's bringing darkness and extinguishing the light. In the six days of creation, He's creating life. And in these ten plagues, He's killing off that which He has created. It's a reversal of the six days of creation. Number two, his power over false gods is second to none. There's no one you call, listen. There's no one you talk to. You, you, listen, you don't have to fully understand the world's religions if you know the one true God. Are you with me? Amen. You don't. I mean, I'm not saying we study the world's religions here. So okay, we'll, we'll we we will study them. You ought to know, we did Islam, we've done that, we've done Jehovah Witnesses, we, we, we get that. But what you really need to know, you should never back down. Because what you know is, you know what, my God is second to none. What can your God do? My God can do that and more. What can your God do? What is it that you're worshiping? How do you benefit? Well, let me, my God has greater benefits. He has power over false gods. Each plague was a direct attack and victory over the gods of Egypt. Number three, he has power over human rulers that is second to none. His power over human rulers is second to none. Now listen. Thus far, most of us grew up in the nation that was the most powerful nation in the world. So we don't appreciate this. But it's already happening, and it will happen, where we aren't the most powerful nation in the world. And again, I would say to you, that's probably already happened. We just don't know it yet. And when that day comes, and we know from the Bible it will come to every nation, so it will come to our nation, There's a lot of people 
including my our, our world is going to get shaken because our world has been reduced to this country and its comforts and its power. And when that day comes, you're going to want to know the I am God who has greater power than whoever it is that's going to be attacking us. And who knows? It might be our own leaders, right? And some may say that's already happening, whatever party's in charge. But here's my point. We serve a God that is greater than the most powerful nation on earth. In that day, it was Egypt. In, in this day, doesn't matter who it is, he's more powerful than that. Gotcha? Good stuff. But look at the holy uniqueness of God's grace, God's greatness is seen in the gracious signs. And, and I always, when I go through these plagues, I always think of Rahab in Joshua 2. Because listen to what Rahab the prostitute, an ungodly, pagan, immoral, undeserving, exactly the kind of people that our God loves to save, listen to what she says in Joshua 2, verse 9. And to the men, the Hebrew spies, I know that the I am has given you the land and that the terror of you has fallen on us and that all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before you. For we have heard how the I am dried up the waters of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sion and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. When we heard it, our hearts melted and no courage remained in any man any longer because of you. For the I am your God. He is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. In other words, she saw the signs, and she saw God's holy greatness, and she saw the holy glory of the I Am God, and she used His name, and she said, I repent, and I place my trust in Him. I will save you if you will promise me that your God will save me. Man, it's beautiful. This is God's intent. Well, this brings us to the third and greatest plague, and that is the tenth plague, the death of the firstborn. And here's what we see. Number three, the unique goodness, the unique goodness of God in how he saves. So we see the unique goodness of God in how he saves through his perfect lamb plus the precious blood all right this is the tenth plague it's set apart and it's given the most space in the story chapters 11 through 15 now as we move into this famous plague the death of the firstborn the passover i just want to remind you of three things because we've seen god's holy glory in his name we've seen his holy greatness in his powerful acts but we need to be reminded that God's holiness requires that sinners and their sin be punished. That's number one. God's holiness requires that His holy wrath be satisfied. He must, to be who He is, He must pour out His wrath on sin. Third, God's holiness requires that God must provide a just way to save sinners and forgive sins. And I would put forth to you, that the just way that God comes up with, the holy way, is through a perfect lamb and his precious blood. Let me show you that. Let's read a little bit first in Exodus 12. Uh, go to Exodus 12. And uh, let's look at verses uh, 12. Let's look at verses 5 through 7. So look at Exodus 12. And uh, let's begin... Let's begin in verse 3. Okay, this is the, inst inst the instituting of the Passover. Look at verse 3. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, they are to each one take a lamb for themselves, according to their father's household, a lamb for each household. 
Now, if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his neighbor nearest to his house are to take one according to the number of persons in them. According to what each man should eat, you are to divide the lamb. Now, look at verse 5. Your lamb shall be an unblemished lamb, an unblemished male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. You shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to, what? Kill it at twilight. Verse 7. Moreover, they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses, the, 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 over the door and on the sides of the door, in which they eat it. Verse 8, they shall eat the flesh that same night, roasted with fire, and they shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Drop down to verse 12. For I will, or verse 11, this is the Lord's Passover, verse 12. I will go through the land of Egypt on that night. I will strike down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the I am. The blood shall be a sign for you on your houses where you live. And when I see the blood, I will pass over. That's why it's called Passover. And no plague, no striking, no smiting will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. There's everything I've been trying to say to you today, all wrapped up in this. So let me give you how the Passover lamb reveals God's holy goodness. Okay, let me let me give this to you. Number one, the Passover lamb is uniquely perfect for all peoples. The Passover lamb is uniquely perfect for all peoples. In verse five. The Passover lamb had to be an unblemished male, pointing to the coming sinless Son of God. In verse 6, the Passover lamb had to be killed and blood had to be shed to, and put on the door, representing there needed to be a blood covering, a, a sinless sacrifice, pointing to the Son of God who would one day be sacrificed as the Lamb of God who shed His blood to take away the sins of the world. So, the goodness of God is pointing to the Son of God who is the sinless Lamb of God who will be sacrificed to take away the sins of the world. But also, look at verse 7. The Passover lamb had to be eaten by each person in the house, pointing to the Son of God who would one day save a people for Himself by grace through faith in Him as their sinless substitute, their sinless sacrifice, their sovereign Savior. In other words, it wasn't enough to be in the house. You had to eat of the Passover lamb. It's not enough to go to church. You need to accept Jesus as your Savior. You need to feed on Him personally. Isn't that beautiful? Beautiful stuff here. You see, the Passover lamb pointed forward to the sinless substitute and sacrifice of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who is the Lamb of God for all peoples. So in John chapter 1, after all this history has been played out, John the Baptist sees Jesus and says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The Lamb of God who is the precious Lamb of God. The sinless substitute. The precious blood. His sacrifice shed for us as sinners. Secondly, the Lamb of God reveals God's holy goodness by, that is uniquely provided for all people. Uniquely provided for all people. Go back to Exodus 11. I need to do more study on this, but from what I gained from this week, chapter 11, verses 4 through 8, even though this is the final and greatest judgment, I think on the basis of Hebrews 11, or Exodus 11, especially verse 8, 
that Moses preached both the bad news and the good news of the coming judgment to Pharaoh and the people of Egypt. Here's my point. Had an Egyptian, even Pharaoh, had he repented and placed his faith and identified with God's people and entered into one of the houses of the Israelites under the cover of the blood and ate of the roasted lamb, he too would have been saved. Because ultimately, God. this isn't about Israel. This is about God being a blessing to all peoples through the people of Israel. And so the Lamb of God is not just for one nation, one people group, one kind of people. The Lamb of God takes away the sins of the world. And so what you see in Exodus 11 is God has Moses proclaim the bad news, firstborn are going to die, but also the good news, all who are my people, who by faith, obey God's commands and put the blood and cover and run to the blood and eat of the lamb, they will be saved. So here's the lesson. Anyone who by faith takes refuge under the shed blood and aid of the roasted Passover lamb, according to God's promise and command, would be saved. Number three, the holy goodness of God is uniquely pictured for all peoples. It's uniquely pictured. Why? Because everything that I'm talking about here, about the Passover lamb, is pointing to one person. And who's that person? The lamb of God, the son of God. Hey, firstborns are dying. God's going to sacrifice his firstborn. God's going to sacrifice his son. And he's going to be the sinless Lamb of God. He's going to be the perfect sacrifice in all who partake of him by faith. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has come to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and will one day rule with his Father over all things. I've given you every mention in the book of Revelation of the Lamb of God. What a beautiful man. We could just sit here and read through this. The Lamb who was slain who was slain, but has risen and is ruling in heaven and in the book of Revelation will one day come. But there's some beautiful things. There's some beautiful things in in, in Revelation 7. For the Lamb in the center of the throne will be their shepherd and will guide them to the springs of the water of life and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. What's the idea here? Jesus is going to be the greater Moses. Moses had anger issues. He wasn't a perfect leader. Jesus, he's sinless. You can follow him. You can trust him. Beautiful stuff. So what should we do now? What should we do with this? Well, here's what's cool. We should do what Moses and Israel did in Exodus 15. So after they see the holy glory of his name, the holy greatness of his powerful acts, the holy goodness of his Uh, perfect lamb and precious blood. You know what they do? They sing praises to the unique grace of Yahweh's purpose to make His name known. They sing praises to the holy grace of God. And Exodus 15 is called the Song of Moses. Because when you really capture the holy glory and the holy greatness and the holy goodness and you embrace that grace that God lives, there's only one thing you can do. You sing His praises. Now, two weeks ago, I don't know what the praise set was, but we talked about the I am who I am. And I'm telling you what, I was about, I was losing it. Okay? And I don't lose it very well. I mean, I'm, you know, losing it is like this for me. Okay? And if God really is getting a hold of me, I'm not even thinking, you know, it's just, uh, anyway, that's a whole other story of worship. Worship is a very interesting thing. Very interesting thing. Because if you're having to think about it, don't do it. But my personality, if I don't think about it, I won't ever do it. And people think it's not okay to raise hands. And it is. But I'm just telling you, listen, when we sing, you know, here's the problem. When we sing most of our praise songs, when it says Lord, it's reverting to Yahweh. 
And when you plug into this worship song, the stuff that we're talking about here, all of a sudden your worship is going to go to another level because you're worshiping the I am, the great I am. And you're not daydreaming, thinking about lunch, looking at the bulletin, doodling. You're going to be participating. So here's the deal. Let me give you two things. Here's the amazing thing. In Revelation, we're going to sing the song of Moses and and the song of the Lamb. Here's what's amazing. There's a whole theology here I can't get into. Let me give you three things. Live Live like a people who have been rescued to be on mission with the I Am God, who is the Holy One and whose Son is the Lamb who was slain, but is risen and returning to rule over all peoples. Not just all the pharaohs, all the Egyptians. Number one, praise His holy name. Praise, sing it, sing it. Exodus 15 is a song. Praise His holy name. Number two, proclaim His holy name. We need to get the seed out. That's what world outreach is about. We need to tell people about this great God. But you can't tell people about God you don't know and you don't relate to. The reason we find evangelism hard is we're not having a growing relationship with God that is exciting us, that is changing us, that we can't keep to ourselves. And number three, practice. Practice His holy name. The ultimate lesson in Leviticus and in 1 Peter is this. If we are His people and He is holy, we should be holy. Be holy, for I am holy. Let's pray. God, we must come before you and weep. Because your holiness is so much greater. And in it we see our sinfulness. This isn't just about Pharaoh. It's not about his false gods. It's about our false gods. It's about how we seek to make you in our image. It's how we play at religion. It's how we play at our Christianity. Oh God, thank you for the blood of the Lamb that covers our sin. Thank you, Lord, that you are consistent in showing yourself as the great I am. Thank you, Lord that we can be a holy people. Yes, we still sin, but we can sin less. And when we sin, we have a Savior who intercedes. And Lord, as we face the uncertainties of tomorrow and of the coming years, we know that you are holy, holy, holy. Oh, Father, What we need to repent of, let us repent. What we need to forsake today, let us not put it off. Let us run from our sin into the arms of the Lamb of God. And Father, may we be a holy people this week who praise you, who proclaim you, and who practice this holiness. For you are holy. There is none like you. None like your son, in whose name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Good stuff. Hey, you know what? We just, that was probably a record for me.